From Paris he seems to have returned on the 23rd of November, and to have gone direct to Charing Cross to the house of a relative, a Mr. Hurst, who is a bachelor and lives at Eltham. He appeared at the house at twenty minutes past five, and as Mr. Hurst had not yet come down from town, and was not expected until a quarter to six, he explained who he was and said he would wait in the study and write some letters. The housemaid accordingly showed him into the study, furnished him with writing materials, and left him. At a quarter to six, Mr. Hurst let himself in with his latchkey, and before the housemaid had time to speak to him, he had passed through into the study and shut the door. At six o'clock, when the dinner bell was rung, Mr. Hurst entered the dining room alone, and observing that the table was laid for two, asked the reason. "'I thought Mr. Bellingham was staying to dinner, sir,' was the housemaid's reply. "'Mr. Bellingham!' exclaimed the astonished host. "'I didn't know he was here. Why was I not told?' "'I thought he was in the study with you, sir,' said the housemaid. On this, a search was made for the visitor, with the result that he was nowhere to be found. He had disappeared without leaving a trace, and what made the incident more odd was that the housemaid was certain that he had not gone out by the front door, for since neither she nor the cook was acquainted with Mr. John Bellingham, she had remained the whole time either in the kitchen, which commanded a view of the front gate, or in the dining-room, which opened into the hall opposite the study door. The study itself has a French window opening on a narrow grass plot, across which is a side-gate that opens into an alley, and it appears that Mr. Bellingham must have made his exit by this rather eccentric route. At any rate, and this is the important fact, he was not in the house, and no one had seen him leave it. After a hasty meal, Mr. Hurst returned to town and called at the office of Mr. Bellingham's solicitor and confidential agent in Mr. Jellicoe, and mentioned the matter to him. Mr. Jellicoe knew nothing of his client's return from Paris, and the two men at once took the train down to Woodford, where the missing man's brother, Mr. Godfrey Bellingham, lives. The servant who admitted them said that Mr. Godfrey was not at home, but that his daughter was in the library, which is a detached building, situated in a shrubbery beyond the garden at the back of the house. Here the two men found not only Miss Bellingham, but also her father, who had come in by the back gate. Mr. Godfrey and his daughter listened to Mr. Hurst's story with the greatest surprise, and assured him that they had neither seen nor heard anything of John Bellingham. Presently the party left the library to walk up to the house, but only a few feet from the library door Mr. Jellicoe noticed an object lying in the grass and pointed it out to Mr. Godfrey. The latter picked it up, and they all recognized it as a scarab which Mr. John Bellingham had been accustomed to wear, suspended from his watch-chain. There was no mistaking it. It was a very fine scarab of the 18th dynasty, fashioned of lapis lazuli, and engraved with the cartouche of Amenhotep III. It had been suspended by a gold chain fastened to a wire which passed through the suspension hole, and the ring, though broken, was still in position. This discovery, of course, only added to the mystery, which was still further increased when, on inquiry, a suitcase bearing the initials J.B. was found to be unclaimed in the cloakroom at Charing Cross. Reference to the counterfoil of the ticket book showed that it had been deposited about the time of the arrival of the Continental Express on the 23rd of November, so that its owner must have gone straight on to Eltham. That is how the affair stands at present, and should the missing man never reappear, or should his body never be found, the question, as you see, which will be required to be settled, is, what is the exact time and place, when and where, he was last known to be alive? As to the place, the importance of the issue involved in that question is obvious, and we need not consider it. But the question of time has another kind of significance. Cases have occurred, as I pointed out in the lecture, in which proof of survivorship by less than a minute has secured succession to property. 
Now, the missing man was last seen alive at Mr. Hurst's house at twenty minutes past five on the 23rd of November, but he appears to have visited his brother's house at Woodford, and, since nobody saw him at that house, it is at present uncertain whether he went there before calling on Mr. Hurst. If he went there first, then twenty minutes past five on the evening of the 23rd is the latest moment at which he is known to have been alive. But if he went there after, there would have to be added to this time the shortest time possible in which he could travel from the one house to the other. But the question as to which house he visited first hinges on the scarab. If he was wearing the scarab when he arrived at Mr. Hurst's house, it would be certain that he went there first. But if it was not then on his watch chain, a probability would be established that he went first to Woodford. Thus, you see, a question which may conceivably become of the most vital moment in determining the succession of property turns on the observation or non-observation by this housemaid of an apparently trivial...